It's time to wrap our tentacles around the worlds of entertainment and give it a good squeeze. This is the Squid Fellows Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live action, Turtle Man. Come on out back to the swamp and dig your hand into some random six-foot deep hole and get you all tentacled up by your neighborhood squid hiding in a pond because that's where they live. Get your bunguses ready. Because you might lose a finger or two on today's episode of the Squad Filaz. Don't forget, your sisters are also your wives. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> I'm going to do that every time there's a brand new Asian-inspired film that I have seen. So today... I am still my hair today, especially today. I'm I am my hair, uh, and today on the Squid Fellows, I'm going to be reviewing a movie called uh, Zhang Xia, and it's a Chinese animated film mm. it, about the nine-tailed fox Daji and a divine hero named Zhang Xia who was cast down from the heavens because he was commanded to execute the nine-tailed fox after millions of people had perished in a very large-scale war. And he was swayed by her and her illusions and ended up uh, showing mercy. Um, So this movie, it's uh, got the charm of... A Disney How to Train Your Dragon, maybe the first How to Train Your Dragon, you know, the quality. We'll go with the first. The quality of the first one. But it's got a much more mature edge on it. It's got high octane, fast action scenes with martial arts. It's got very beautiful colors and animation. It's very smooth. And even the dub, I watched it dubbed. Uh, even the dub is very smooth and the, the lip syncing is, is, is quite good. Um, which I'm not so worried about because, you know, it's a movie, you watch it, you don't have to be watching their mouths. Um, yeah, but it makes a difference. But it does make a difference when you're trying to, you know, get attached to characters in, uh, you know, an hour and a half long film that's geared more towards, like, younger teens. Younger yeah, it works teens. for my brain. I mean, I watch anime, and so I'll be a child forever. Maybe my booty hole will get yeah. a little more hair in it, but on the inside, hair on I'm the still inside. a minor. Oh, hair on the inside. Uh-huh. Minor on the inside. Yes. Both a hairy minor. Hairy minor on the inside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, so. Hey, listen, this floats someone's boat, I'm sure. Uh, a story begins with uh, a actually 2D animation of, of the war, of the Great War. This movie is actually modeled off of uh, the realistic lore of the Shang dynasty during the Chinese history, historical okay. period. Is that the one that built the wall? I, I believe so. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Mexico is actually Mexicans in Asia. China. You know, <laughs> if you turn your head and snap your neck, Jeez, Mexico is in Asia. Like an egg roll? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it starts as a beautifully animated 2D scene uh, with... Zhang Xia climbing what is essentially the stairway to heaven as the nine-tailed fox invades heaven. A lot of swordy slashing, a lot of divine light, nice beautiful yellow glow, yellow and white tones for the divine, and red and black for Daji and her evil fox spirit army. Climbs the stairway and puts a magical seal on her that allows them to capture her. And when they capture her, the movie switches animation styles and goes to 3D. This is where it really begins. I was a little bit of a prologue, but yeah. this is where you get the scene of Zhang Xia climbing the stairway to heaven in 3D. And when he gets to the top, she is underground. This, quote, heaven is at the top of a very, very large mountain that's in the sky. It's kind of like Mount Olympus in that sense, where all the way at the pinnacle, there's all the huge gods that are enormous and larger than humans, multiple times larger than humans. And then there's the one central master of all gods, the guy who knows all, sees all, and sits in one spot all day, just overseeing 
all of the world. And sounds lazy. To that me. guy is called. He he does look lazy. <laughs> uh, that guy is called the Revered Master. Is he fat? No, no. He's skinny. He actually looks very Buddhist inspired. Yeah, I mean, he's not like humanoid. He's only humanoid in that his body is shaped like a human. There's no color. Uh, he doesn't have skin. He has appendages. He has arms. He's got a face. It's like a. He's basically like a giant muscles? stone statue. Oh, he's okay. a giant he's stone really statue. Cool. Okay, gotcha. But he moves. He moves like he's made of flesh and bone. Okay, um, that makes sense. And he sits there crisscross applesauce with his cute little robe on. Oh. It's draped over him, and there's all these uh, branches just coming out of his head and out of his body. And it's he looks like the world tree, but all the lower gods beneath him have these branches that like little branches coming out of their heads, Baby like branch. just representations of their of their deity of their status. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're nowhere near his level. Um, mm-hmm. And this guy claims to be the all-seeing, all-knowing. Uh, and he orders Zhang Xia, when Zhang Xia reaches the top, to execute the nine-tailed fox. Damn. And as I said, when he goes to do this, uh, she sways him. But before she does she that, she, she does not. <laughs> before she does that, um, she's hoisted from inside the mountain all the way to the top. Her two arms are yanked apart. Um, not not as in, not, not like apart as in off, just, um, just apart to like spread like yeah. her her whole torso she's out. She's vulnerable, and she's still sealed. And they they yank her up and they hoist her into the air. And then this giant divine guillotine is supposed to come down from the heavens out of the clouds <laughs> and crash down onto her to execute her. It seems like so why extreme need, overkill. Why do they even need the guy to do? They anything? need they need him there to. The for the action of, of executing okay. her. He he puts his sword, which is um, called the Divine Whip, which doesn't initially look like a whip, but you'll see later that is very much what its use turns into. He puts it into a stone that it fits perfectly into. It's got like a little keyhole, and he activates the whole execution process. And as it's coming down... She invades his mind and, and his butthole and every other orifice, even his nipple holes. She's in there. Oh, nipple man. holes. She's Hell yeah. She's in there. Holes. She's like, she's like, I'm going to whip you, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She invades <laughs> him and she shows him a vision of young, innocent girl in her clutches. And uh, she says, if she dies, I die. And vice versa. If okay. I die, she, she dies. dies. Gotcha. And that's very important. That's how the plot starts because that is what sways him. That's why he's, he so she does like he the, nearly you, calls you, off the execution. So that's why he she does the if you kill me, I'm going to kill myself. If you break up with me, I'm going to kill myself thing. But it's like right. if you kill me, someone else dies. Love doing right. that. Um, and so Zhang Ziya, although he's divine and he's all powerful and he's like an ultimate warrior... He's very human, and he does like to make his own choices. So he tries to hesitate and call off the execution. Um, however, they supposedly execute her anyways. And when he's cast down from the heavens, he's sent to this ghost town where the remnant demons and, and goblin and weird creatures from the, from the Great War with the Nine-Tailed Fox reside and live in the ghetto in the ghetto basically it's just like a war-torn little town where they throw up a bunch of huts and they all just suffer together (laughs) and so Jiang Zia is sitting at the end of a pier covered in snow seemingly frozen uh fishing and there's these little birds that can transform into humans and they're stalking him and they're watching him and they're like what the heck is that weird rock doing at the end of the pier because he's really covered in snow he's this guy looks like an igloo just sitting there he's been there for a while clearly and so they they sealed his divine power but not left him powerless and mortal um so he's sitting at the end of the pier frozen but you know he's still alive he's still alive he's got his little branch in his hair and is like attached to him that's like the symbol of his divinity like i said earlier He's sitting there fishing with the divine whip, which is also sealed, so it looks like a regular stick, like a walking cane, uh, with engravings on it. And they bother him, and they rustle him a bit, and then, you know, he wakes up, and he just looks like 
looks like a drunk. You know, he just he's not like a, a lost cause, but he's very very disheveled and he's got gray in his hair oh, and he's mind. he's uh, clearly not living it up. They sent his best friend and best man from the war yeah, down with him, not in exile, but they sent him to watch over him essentially and make, make sure, sure kill himself. No, 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 well, no, <laughs> make nice. sure he doesn't leave the boundary of this ghost town. That's um, what I got you guys here for. And so his friend is like this uh, jaguar spirit. Um, he's kind of like a, a divine cat. It's not. He's human. He's he's. Uh, fully humanoid most of the time, but he can turn, but into, he can a turn into a cat on Is command a when cat? fighting. No, I didn't say it was cute. It's not a cute cat. It's not cute. Badass. It's not cat. cute. It looks like Diego from Ice Age mixed with a freaking suit of armor. So cute. Um, it's actually not an ugly. Like it's not ugly. It's not stupid. It's actually a little. It's pretty badass. But hit the because the combat in this in this movie is actually quite badass. They do it very well. Sick. But he's like Zhang Xia, you're 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 a stupid wash up. Like, don't you want to get back into the heavens? Cast away this illusion that the fox spirit has placed into your memory. The yeah. gods told him, "Oh, you're you're possessed. You're crazy. You shouldn't be having these hesitations as a divine, you know, being. Yeah. You know, being." And he refuses. He know he wants to believe at the bottom of his heart that this. Human girl is is somewhere alive, and that he'll find her, and that she'll bring truth, and and it'll clear his name. So, they get in little tiffs all the time about about how stupid uh, Zhang Xia is for believing all of this, and his friend doesn't trust him for seventy five percent of the story. Mm-hmm. And so Zhang Xia he goes into the town, he goes into a bar. Um, where they're drinking like mushrooms, so that <laughs> it's fascinating. It's bar. fascinating. Oh. So in the bar, there's all these wacky-looking creatures, and they all look really cool. I actually liked them a lot. They're like weird monsters from all these lore and like weird tourist monsters, like a minotaur. The the, the bartender is this gross-looking midget frog who just mm. like whoa, has whoa, whoa, a really whoa. crusty You're accent. Not allowed to say, I don't care, frog. It's it's an animal. <laughs> Uh, this gross-looking frog who just collects all these artifacts from across the realm and sells them for a high price. He's a he's a collector and a trader. Um, but when they pour drinks for people, they grab these little mushroom things that have four legs and they walk around and they make weird noises like "me" and "fuck you." And so they, he grabs one oh, off of a branch oh, and yeah. he squeezes the life out of it into a bowl, and that's how they that's how they share drinks over yeah, there. Yeah, it's definitely going. Oh, um, wow. And then the life over on the right, there's some goblin pissing in a minotaur's bowl of <laughs> of mushroom juice, and then he drinks it. Uh, Does they uh, like it? It's like there's some like is fun. Is that like good? No, it was he spit it out immediately. There's uh, just like fun. Yeah, yeah, there's like fun mature finally. humor in ah, this. Ah, that sounds so the great. Movie. Yeah, there's some fun mature humor in the movie. There's also blood. It's not like a Disney film where they're like, oh my god, everybody just gets knocked out when they get fucked yeah, up. Yeah, that's like, something no, I'm excited blood. about watching this. Um. And so Zhang Xia goes into this bar and then enters this weird vagabond hooded young lass. Enters her? No. No, She she enters her monkey. (laughs) And she gets her really weird looks from everybody because she's an outsider and she looks odd and she's hooded. But she's looking for a particular map to the Mount Yodu, uh, which is a mountain Mm -hmm. that she had visions of uh, she doesn't have many memories, but she has this one mountain as a memory and uh, the vision of black flowers that bloom there. And she wants to go there because she thinks her father is there. And so she wants the map from the trader and she tries to offer money, but they want to scam her, obviously. They want to steal yeah, her they shit outside. Yeah. and they don't respect her. And so. Uh, it ends up being a, a huge bar brawl, but when her hood gets removed, she has little fox ears. Um, and so Zhang Xia got a huge mega boner, uh, and he was like, uh, he really got excited about the prospect of clearing his name there, because 
she <laughs> directly resembled the girl that was shown to him in his vision. Okay. And so he helps her escape the bar, but she doesn't care that he's trying to help her. She wants to get away, and she also knows who he is because, you know, like, he's he's the divine warrior that ended the war. Yeah, he's famous. Uh, He's very famous. Even the people in the bar are like, Zhang Xia, what are you doing here? Yeah, Uh, Yeah, why are you like this now? Yeah. (laughs) And so she's very, very reluctant to, like, give him any information. Well, because she's foxy, or she might try to And they're scuffling, and they're having, like, a huge tracking... Um, chase scene and then she escapes the ghost town because she's not bound to it and then Zhang Jia decides he's leaving. leaving. He leaves the ghost town to pursue his his faith in that you know this girl is not evil uh, or or an illusion and so he goes and he follows her and he saves her from a number of demons they're all very very cool I love all the fights in this in this movie uh, when he saves her, they travel together, and they have to overcome many different weird creatures, and they have to learn about the area, and she kind of starts to grow uh, a conscience and, like, respect for her surroundings, because she doesn't mm-hmm. have any... She's just, like, a douche for a long time, and she seems very much like the trickster fox spirit, mm. uh, and... She's trying to steal the map from Jiang Xia, who has it in his possession the whole time. Instead of, like, just having him help her reach Mount Yodu, she wants to steal it and go alone and leave him in the dust. What a jerk. A couple hoopy schloopies later, they lose the map, and uh, Jiang Xia is the only one who knows the way to Mount Yodu by heart now. Wow, so now she needs them. So now she needs them, and they start going together, and as they go together, it's very cute, they grow closer... Uh, you know, like they develop, yeah, father daughter style. They develop as characters. Uh, Zhang Xia. Oh, step. Actually, one thing I really enjoyed about <laughs> Zhang Xia at first is his initial intent was to actually kill her, uh, and he he did not approve of her. And although he wanted to prove himself right, more than anything else, it was for himself. For himself, not necessarily for that initial. Oh, I want to save this innocent girl. He seemed like actually a bad guy at first. Okay. Mm. Um, but then he kind of shakes it off of himself at a point and was and is just like, okay, I'm gonna help this girl no matter what it takes. Reach this mountain, even if it's bullshit. We're gonna go, and I'm I'm gonna help her. And so he does, and the plot boils into this like very very beautifully done relationship between the two of them the friend that was trying to convince Zhang Xia to go back to the heavens the whole time for the friend from the war he's eventually catches up to them and actually ends up fighting Zhang Xia and fighting the little fox girl that fights them together um, with his really 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 cool divine powers and his cat powers and he can like blast lightning from his palms and there's all these cool glyphs that he does and combat styles and martial arts moves um, it's uh, really, really dynamic. Lots of explodies, uh, but not explodies that like block your screen. Explodies that you can appreciate while still being able to watch the fight behind them, which I love. And they soon discover, which uh, another thing that I really love about this is the nine-tailed fox is sometimes referred to as Da Ji, who is a real person that existed in the Shang Dynasty who was killed by her successor. Uh, but the reason that they, they granted her like the, the name of the nine-tailed fox is because it was just to represent how uh, devious and controlling women can be, <laughs> nice. uh, quite honestly, especially in royalty. And uh, you don't know much about the little fox girl, okay. but it's revealed later in her lore that her name is actually Su Daji, which is the name of um, Daji in real life lore. It's it's really cool. And it makes perfect sense because the nine-tailed fox spirit is actually trying to kill Su Daji because they're bound by this divine chain 
that, you know, it, it was that promise that if I die, you die. Yeah. If you die, I die. That's the promise. It's actually marked by a physical object around her ankle. Okay. So the girl that, that she, he was shown at the execution is this... Yes. Is, is her human form or human... Yeah, that they made a deal with or something like exactly. that. Fox Demon and her separate but together. They're exactly, exactly. Okay. So they're initially. So Sudaji is is killed in in real life lore by her successor, who is also named Daji, and then the mm. fo- the nine tailed fox spirit is then kind of um, they give her that name. Uh, and in this movie, the nine-tailed fox spirit kind of engulfs this girl, and they become one, bound. Um, but when sh- the fox spirit is sealed, the the bind isn't necessarily broken, but the girl's physical form is then remanifested, and she can exist, you know, as like a as like a human in the world. Okay. So in that, their new goal becomes to you know sever the chain and figure out a way to get this girl like a life like so that Free she because you know uh the the call to the mountain to by her supposed father ended deep. up being um the god of marriage which is <laughs> which uh okay. is actually another guy who appears in chinese lore huh. i want to see him um, in smite <laughs> which was very very fascinating. He like binds people together against their will. He's not he's not a good god of marriage. Chinese finger trans. Imagine him as somebody. He's like, I now pronounce you man and man, and then you just die. <laughs> I now yeah. pronounce you gay. Well, that's it's funny that you say that because <laughs> when the, the when they introduce you to him, he's crazed and he's like the gross looking dude in a cave, and he's with the red string of fate. Wrapping up two men, binds them together and sends them off. <laughs> so yeah, he does marry. He does marry two men in in that cave. Wow, illegal. Very creepy. Very creepy. Very sexy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fucking uh, belt looping it. Uh, it's very very cool. So uh, it boils down that Zhang Xia <laughs> discovers this girl has some hidden things. Very hidden and she's very connected to the actual divine masters and she's not just a part of the fox spirit the divine link that's on her ankle was forged by the revered master oh, so this guy made it. this guy hmm. ha- who who is supposed to have the best interest of all of mankind in him forged this link that could cause the world to be ended and you know sent into another great war and so now Jiang Xia is like very confused and starts to grow a little bit of hate for the heavens which is normal um, as as one should you know you're discovering that they're putting the life of this one girl you know at risk for their own personal gain that they think is for the benefit of all mankind but in reality you know you're just endangering all of mankind. Yeah, that seems irresponsible. Um, and so uh, this movie actually gets very sad, and I thought it was going to have a very pleasant ending, and it did. It was very satisfying. Essentially, Zhang Xia tries to figure out a way to get the bind broken between the fox spirit and the girl by order of reincarnation because he can't on his own return to the heavens but his friend eventually catches up like I said Mm. and they convince him to help them at least speak to the revered master and figure out some truth and so he picks a little berry off of his like head branch that I was talking about earlier and he performs this ritual and then the Zhang Xia is transported to the stairway of heaven where he can then walk up and speak with the divine master and uh they, he said the only way to remove the link is through reincarnation. So they try to get this young girl to the uh, ancient gate of reincarnation. Basically, it's this. It's actually beautiful. I, I love this whole uh, part of the movie. This this leads into the climax. Um, it's 
a huge field that looks really empty and they get to the water that they're running towards it's this huge beach even though they're in a cave underground there's a like a sunset coming across the water Aww. and there's this huge dial like this huge circular ancient dial in the middle of the water with a hole in it and then there's just white light emanating from the hole and uh, yeah it is white it's very racist it purges all impurities and blackness um, so <laughs> he puts the girl down he was carrying her she was weakened and she walks toward the dial she gets inside it and uh, she says some really sappy stuff you know you can cry if you want you know go for it whatever um, it's definitely one of those scenes cry if you want to and uh, when she goes in the dial what I thought was really really cool is it actually starts to spin to signify her reincarnation it, so she goes in and then the coin flips and then it's horizontal to the water so it's like you can see the whole circle of the coin on the surface of the water and as it's going to turn all the way around in order to fully complete her reincarnation they're attacked by the nine-tailed fox spirit who doesn't didn't want this to happen. doesn't want it to happen didn't actually die from the execution because of the bind between her and the girl she was just weakened to a point where her powers are are not you know as threatening as before um, and uh, I won't spoil the what happens in between because it's it's very very gripping and important but I will say the ending is I won't describe the details because it's also very, very wonderful to see uh, and important, but as you might be able to already infer, Zhang Xia revolts against the heavens because of the divine, the revered master's uh, poor decision-making decision and, and disregard for, you know, respect for, like, humanity and uh, morality. Uh, he revolts against the heavens and he, he like, it's very, very, very swell and dandy. Okay. Um, what would you rate the film? What I would rate the film, you know, for how shit Disney has become, Yeah. this movie was like a huge breath of fresh air because I, I love animated movies like anime. Me, I love, also. you know... I think animated movies are some of the most pleasing movies to watch because and they make a good one. You can, yeah, because you can you could do a lot in an animated movie, and it's and it's hard to it's hard to make a really 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 bad animated movie. Like there are some bad animated movies, yeah. but yeah. there's you know it's difficult because you're not dealing with actors, you're not dealing with true, you know, paying these people bajillions of dollars to play a role and depends on the animated movie they'll pay people a lot of money for their voice I know but it's the voice though it's the voice and then how they animate the characters and how they incorporate their personality and how they write important. the plot is is much more much more free than if you had you know those people standing there right in front of you like uh, but this movie I, I loved it I thought it was about a five out of six tentacles nice fuck yeah um I loved the Impressed. the mature content. The the fight scenes were wonderful. The character development was great. Um, I thought every character was pretty dynamic, and useful, and very cool. Zhang Xia, especially, even though he lacked all of his divine power for most of ninety percent of the story, the way that he gets some of it back closer to the end, um, and the way that he uses the scraps he has left, are very intelligently designed. Like it's not an op. Um, like reserve thing where oh shit I'm gonna die I better use this it's Good. constantly and consistently throughout fight scenes and times where he needs it uses it intelligently and, and in crafty ways that aren't that don't seem broken smashing um, very smashing where can we watch this uh, bad um, boy Zhang Zia, I watched it on NineAnime.to. It's a website. You can Sounds probably find very it. Illegal. It's not illegal, but because it's literally on Google, it's accessible by a Google search. You know what else is on Google? Porn. Yes. Yes. Um, but illegal. you can find it probably <laughs> on some streaming service. Maybe maybe Netflix. Maybe Hulu. I don't know. You look. I'm not looking. You do it. If you like the way the movie sounds, you look it up. Google Get it. Get passionate about you it. You have Google actually it. fucked that. Freaking give it a bing. 
Bing. Oh my <laughs> god, you heathen. No, I would give it a five out of six tentacles for all who desire an animated movie in 2021. Animated booby? Yeah. Tis I. Tis you. Yes. That is all. I'm done. Review over. That's the review. <laughs> all right. It's um, so, yeah, it's Andy. Hope that you guys, um, are, everyone's good. You guys? <laughs> Everyone can't say that. That's why I said everyone. <laughs> I gotta good. include everyone. Yeah. Very smooth start to this one. Doing good. So I'm gonna do a review about a theory about a theory. the Shining. So you're reviewing the Shining? Nah, kind of. Okay. Um, the Shining is a movie written and directed by Stan. Well, written by it's what's a, his name, Stephen King. It's a Stephen King book that was then adapted into a movie by uh, by Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. One of the craziest but most genius directors to ever live. Absolute genius, <laughs> kind of a mean guy. Total really lunatic. mean guy. Total lunatic. He made Shelley Duvall do some scenes of the movie hundreds of times, and then he would be like, yeah, you nailed it on the 15th take. <laughs> well, she's getting her practice in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. She quit acting after this movie. <laughs> Good for her. Honestly. Good for her. Yeah. As she should have. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Not the greatest, not the most amazing job. actress. Yeah. Very odd looking human being. Kind of fucked up teeth and weird bug eyes, but also still oddly very pretty, in my opinion. The Shining. Brief review of The Shining. Not The Shining. It's about a theory. It's a really, really Maybe neat theory that I came across. At least tell people briefly about The Shining, in case there's someone who hasn't watched it. If you haven't watched The Shining, Go fuck yourself. And I hate <laughs> you. It's a great movie. Watch it. It's about this family of three. Father, son, wife. The father's a writer. The wife, you don't really know what she does. The son is just like a little weird kid who has an imaginary friend that is his finger. Um, can't remember his name. Doesn't matter. But... um. The father gets this job offer to watch over the Overlook Hotel on the top of a ski mountain, ski resort, tea mountain. And every winter is very, very terrible where the Overlook Hotel is is located. So it pretty much gets borderline inaccessible. But it still needs upkeep. It still needs to be watched. If a window needs to be broke, if a window gets broken, it needs to be boarded up. Blah blah blah. So he takes the job because he's writing a book and he's experiencing writer's block. And he figures that being isolated from society would would do them some good and get his brain ticking. They end up going stir crazy pretty quickly. Madness ensues. Jack Torrance is the father. He ends up, you know, grabbing an axe, as one does. and Does he actually kill anybody? Trying to kill... No. Okay, he just tries well, to Well, actually, yeah, he kills the hotel manager. Okay. He and does he kill the hotel kill manager. Family. In theory, kills the hotel manager, but... Okay, in theory. Not in the Wendy theory. The Wendy theory is that instead of it being Jack, the one that goes crazy, it has pretty much been Wendy, the one that's been crazy the entire time. Which is a very, very neat theory, and it explains a lot of stuff in the movie. How do they justify that? Or explain it, So, schizophrenia, some form of psychosis, something wrong with the brain. Also, Munchausen syndrome, which is when someone tries to get attention by sympathy, attention and sympathy by falsifying, inducing, and or exaggerating an illness. They lie about symptoms, sabotage medical tests, like putting blood in urine, or harm themselves to get the symptoms. Now, in this case, she uses her son for this syndrome. So how does she Saying use that he has experienced injuries in order for her to get attention. How it's all Jack's fault because he's not, he was an alcoholic. And okay. he hurt the, ch- the child. So she, okay. In the Wendy theory, it's never him hurting the child at all. It's her hurting the child and then blaming the dad. And then blaming him. What does that have to do with them going up to the middle of nowhere? 
so Jack, Jack needed to finish the book. Okay. And when they get out to nowhere, there's no one there that she can feed attention off of other than Jack. Yeah. And this theory explains a lot of things because there's a lot of um, continuity errors in the movie that were considered continuity errors. But when you look at this theory, it very much so seems like they're not there are not because there is a lot of furniture that just goes missing mid scene in a lot of scenes and like weird furniture like light switches will be taken off the wall light fixtures taken off of the off of the ceiling chairs just disappearing mid scene and there's this one iconic scene where jack is writing on his typewriter and wendy slowly walks into the room shows her walk all the way to jack she has a conversation with him as she starts the conversation he rips a piece of paper out of the typewriter she speaks to him. He's incredibly annoyed by her. And when it shows Jack's face, there's a chair behind him. Goes back to Wendy's face, then back to Jack's face, and the chair is gone. He flips, rips the sheet of paper up into pieces, throws it on the ground, tells her to get the fuck out of the room because she's ruining his creativity, and she okay. walks away. Goes back to Jack, and he looks incredibly confused and kind of disturbed doesn't look like he just told his wife to fuck off it just looks like he was like alright that just happened this is my fucking life and there's a piece of paper still on the typewriter as if he never took it out at all so the theory is that she had that entire conversation in her head herself she just walks up to Jack stares at him for a little while has the conversation in her head and then begrudgingly walks away. Is the chair behind him when he... The chair is behind him when the paper is back in the typewriter. If there's that many huh. signs of the theory, like, being true, I'm confused as to how it's, like, a subtle theory that that is, like, in the background because it seems like it's very obvious and they're trying to shove it down your throat. They're not. They're not. It's, it's, you would have it's, to watch that scene a bunch of times. You would really have to analyze it because every during the walkthrough, every single scene that they show after that with missing furniture and missing light switches is mostly at different angles. And it's, it's down to the point where in a storage room they move jars of Kool-Aid. So like just blurry in the background stuff. That no, you not, blurry, not blurry. Not blurry. It's definitely it is in plain sight if you're really looking for it, but it's definitely something that would subtly your brain just wouldn't pick up. It just kind of makes you makes your brain go like this is weird. Something is weird. Something weird is happening in here. And um, oh oh, uh, the all work and dull, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So Shelley Duvall walks into his writer's room after Donnie was beaten by supposedly Jack in room 232. The theory explains that it was her that hurt Jack, or her that hurt the little boy, and not Jack. She has a baseball bat because she is legitimately terrified for her life, thinking wholeheartedly that it was Jack that hurt the boy because of the hallucination. She reads his his pages as she's reading the pages, all she sees is over and over and over and over and over again, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. When in reality, There's actual it's his actual, it's a book that he's writing. She freaks out. He tries to calm her down. As they're walking up the steps, she hits him in the head with a baseball bat, and he gets knocked out. And in this theory, after that scene, the entire rest of the movie is just delving into her wild, deranged hallucinations. So he doesn't actually die in the middle of the So, in the movie, after she knocks him out, she drags his body into the storage room. As she's dragging his body into the storage room, there's a light switch missing. A clearly light switch that's integrated into the wall is missing. So that's like a really weird thing to not... to take out of the scene. She puts him in the storage room as a hallucination. There's ho- there's always been a lot of confusion around this movie as to how Jack Torrance got out of the storage room in general to go get the axe. In the theory, instead of her dragging to that room, she just dragged him outside and, and left his body in the maze and as he's unconscious he and he died. 
so the rest of it is just all a pure hallucination, wild fucking crazy fever dream. She possibly kills the hotel manager who shows up. I forgot to mention that they Jack potentially called the hotel manager to say that they needed to be evacuated for medical reasons because Shelly Duvall was going insane. Yeah. And um, he parks this big snow vehicle outside. He parks it parallel to the house. And in a hallucination, it shows the vehicle parked perp- perpendicular. And then when Shelly Duvall runs outside, it's parked correctly because they heard it coming. They heard the vehicle coming. So that's just how she imagined it was parked, I guess. I don't know. It's really wildly insane and very in-depth. It's a really, really cool theory. It was posted on YouTube um, November 9th of last year by Rob Navarro. Um, Is that someone we should know? No, definitely not. He's just like a YouTube theory guy. And... um, it's pretty cool. People are like going a little nuts about how the movie is supposedly finally cracked. And um, they even bring up this a screenshot of the movie that was um, portrayed in a documentary by Warner Bros. called The Visions of Stanley Kubrick, where it shows Jack Torrance's frozen body. At the end of the movie, it shows his frozen body, but it only shows basically his face. In this movie, it's a panned out version and he's completely covered in snow. Like, way too much snow to have just been there for, you know, a night. So he's probably out there for much longer than that. Okay, so how, so I thought it was a really cool theory. Um, sorry, what were you going to say? So what about all so what about all the other wacky stuff? Like the, the crazy uh, naked dead woman so and kid so that and that and stuff that all happens all that stuff starts happening after she clocks. jack was knocked out i haven't seen it in a while so I all that stuff starts happening after jack was knocked out she runs into the writer's room and it's filled with these old skeletons and she freaks out obviously because she's fucking that's freaky so okay so because they had the part with the bars or using the fake bars after that too, right? Yeah. I don't know if it was after that. It might have been. But when I don't remember where he's in the bar and he's talking to the bartender and it's and pretty, not real. So so they do actually explain that part and how that was also all just in her head. There's a poster on an easel with an ornate um, big design on the top of it and that is completely different in the hallucination. And then it goes back to being the same when but it shows it. Couldn't that have just been that Jack's hallucination had it wrong? Because I thought no. the movie implied that Jack's the one that has the mental breakdown and starts that's, hallucinating. That's what they stuff. imply, but um, yeah. according to the theory, it's just her, you know, making up a syndrome for him. Like it's, so it's then what her is the, victimizing herself. And then what is the kid's psychic ability? Is that just her in her brain too? That's in her brain too. It's like. In the storage room, they rearrange a bunch of cans. When they're, it's just, it's, it's a wild theory. A lot of it's reaching, and but there's just so much shit in the theory that kind of proves it right. That I think it's, it's, I think it's pretty spot on. So, do you think that all the stuff being slightly out of place could have been because they did like 700 takes? No, <laughs> no, I definitely don't. I definitely okay. don't because um, Stanley Kubrick is like he is crazy. He's an incredible photographer and cinematographer and also he used to hustle people like professional chess players he's an incredible chess player so i don't think that he would let those little details go unnoticed because he was heavily involved in editing the film too okay we could just ask him I think he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we pray ask him. i'll pray <laughs> dear stanley kubrick Got a Ouija am board. i Cunt. gay <laughs> we get a Ouija board and go to a hotel in the middle of a snowy mountain, and then it's going to turn into Wrong Turn Four, and cannibals are going to be chasing us. So have you yeah. rewatched the Dong movie? Turn? Have you rewatched the movie since uh, you heard about this theory? I haven't. No. No, I have not. Uh, I, ha- I might have it. it. Might not be in my possession anymore though. Uh, anywhere possibly it's on the internet. It's somewhere. on Google. Definitely. It's gotta be. Yeah. It's probably it's on YouTube really at this point. Really popular movie. So what do you think of the theory? Would you rate the theory in terms of how it, I guess, it impacts Honestly, the movie? Honestly, with the amount of evidence that these people went through and how meticulously they broke down the film and 
kind of held your hand through this theory and explaining all of it, you know, putting arrows and having the scenes, um, two scenes play at different times with stuff missing from each other. I would, I would honestly give it probably like a 5.5 out of six, but also the whole voice of the, of the, you know, the whole narrator of the video sounds kind of like a computer. Oh, that's annoying. Oh. And it's That's 40 little, minutes long. A little bit of a disconnect, I guess. A little man. bit of a disconnect. I thought so it was the, really cool. And he was he was kind of quirky, too. Like, it's like the theory's good, but the... It's not horrible. Style, it's not... The style of the movie could be... All right. I didn't well, think it was horrible. Credit, if we're going to credit the person who gave you know the most upfront evidence, then what what's their YouTube handle? So yeah. That, what's uh, YouTube I said it. It's... um. Rob Navarro, R O B, N A V A R R O. That's probably one of the pin videos in his whole thing too. I bet. Yeah, it must YouTube be. Page. Yeah. All right, so um, five and a half tentacles for a theory about The Shining. Wendy. One day, day, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brain. All work and no meat spanking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, this is Chris, and I'm going to be doing not a movie or a theory about a movie. I'm going to be talking about books, the original movies. Playboy. (laughs) Esquire. Imagination. Hustler. So I'm going to be talking about three books in particular. Uh, they are all part of the Horus Heresy series, which is set in the Warhammer 40k universe, which I reviewed ah, earlier. You love. And just a quick reminder, the Horus Heresy is basically where Horus leads a rebellion against the Emperor and sp- splits the Imperium in half. Uh, these first three books are called Horus Rising, False Gods, and Galaxy in Flames, and they chronicle basically the pre-heresy in the very beginning where the heresy gets revealed and almost none of them are done through the eyes of Horus almost all of it is done through the eyes of this main character which his name is Loken and he is a captain in Horus's legion and he is also a advisor to Horus as part of this unofficial group called the Mob mm. four captains that are essentially just super advisors to Horus give him advice and stuff and they are unofficially higher ranked than other captains but they don't have any official extra power it's just because Horus favors them basically oh i'm cute um so he sees most of what happens through his eyes and the first book has three parts to it and so the first part is a set on the first world that they conquer after Horus gets his promotion and the main incident that occurs there is Loken is sent to go clean up this resistance group after they basically crushed the bulk of the people on that planet. There's just one little resistance group left. Loken goes in to clean it up, and as he's going in, their radio is filled with this voice saying, Samus is the last thing you'll ever see. Samus is eat your bones and see you to dust. Watch out. It's Samus. Sounds like a party. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, nice. And they can't get rid of it, and they think it's just propaganda to try to intimidate them. They go in, they crush the rebellion pretty quickly, and then as they're about to leave, he gets a call from his sergeant, uh, Jubal. And Jubal's like, I found Samus. And Loken goes to him with the squad of guys, and he's staring at this wall of water, and there's water dripping down from the top. It's hitting all these little out. A little outgrowths in the rock and dripping down, dripping down. Like there's yeah. this little faint and there's little like tokens and stuff in the water and it's clearly like a place of worship. And he's it's clearly something's wrong with this guy and when they go to try to arrest him he turns and shoots two of them. And he gets like super space marine strength where he literally kills a guy by taking his fingers and punching them through his helmet eyes. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> killing him that Damn, way. Hard. Logan hot. kills him. And he's trying to figure out what happened because in the current Imperium, they don't believe in demons or any of that afterlife or any of that stuff. They're all about science, reason, and logic. It's the Imperial truth that they put out there. The Ben Shapiro verse. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. But minus the Judaism. (laughs) And the wet ass ass pussy. And And the finger banging skills. Uh, um, so So he's trying to figure out what happened. He's talking to someone who's 
pivotal to more the side um, story plots, but not the main one. As he's talking to this guy, Jubal comes back to life and transforms into a minor demon. Kills a couple more people before they finally put put him down for good. They blow him into okay. little pieces. Nice. Smithereens. <laughs> and after this, Loken gets talked to by Horus, and Horus explains to him that and what they know is that in the warp, there are entities that are just chaotic in nature and will just occasionally possess space marines and make them turn, but there's no evil out there. There's no grand plan to destroy humanity. It's just chaotic energy that occasionally will penetrate through and take over someone. And they, it's happened before, and they just cover it up because they want the image of an unbeatable uh, you know, force that is always loyal. They can't have it come out that, no, occasionally they turn and kill each other. No by right. this evil, well, well, they don't say evil, by this force that they don't really know anything about. And in this conversation, you see that the Emperor didn't tell Horus why he left, and that hurts him, and you start to see some of the divides between Horus and the Emperor. And then another part of this incident is introduces this thing called the Lodge, which is basically just the warriors meeting in secret against the Emperor's wishes, and they basically just, in theory, it's just a hangout, where they hang out, they can talk about whatever they want. There's no rank there. They can all treat each other as equals. And in theory, that's great, but what Loken notices is that, yeah, you can do this, but you guys are so good at keeping secrets. If you really wanted to keep it evil secret, no one would ever know. Like, you're really good at hiding stuff, and you're kind of creating a secondary brotherhood within the brotherhood that's not great. But he doesn't rat them out oh. either, for whatever reason. And that's kind of the first part of the book is setting up these concepts. The rest of the book is basically sh through various incidents showing Horus, the strain that he's under, and him slowly breaking with the Emperor's like ideas and what he's set forward and kind of trying to do his own thing. Nice. As well as trying to balance having to deal with all his other brothers who want him to do different stuff and trying to run an intergalactic campaign and it's wearing and tearing on him. And like you see the slow kind of breaking where he's thinking in his own way and it's not really his dream he's following it's someone else's and it's mm -hmm. kind of wearing on him but it's all through other people's eyes so you see little incidents where like he's questioning why something's happening or why they do things the way they do things and stuff he never would have done before and he kind of gets away with it because he's so overwhelmingly charming and charismatic and stuff that no one thinks oh this could end badly right Oh, I forget, the rest of the book also introduces a couple characters. Saul uh, Tavitz, who comes back in the third book, and this guy, Herberus, who is important, because he basically is sent there to help turn Horus to the Chaos Gods. That's essentially why he's there. But he showed up in the third book, as in the end of the first book, and he kind of makes appearances throughout all of them. The second book is another three-parter. And the first part is they go back to this planet that Horus conquered, and they're basically lured into a trap by Erebus, where Horus gets wounded by this weapon, and it's, the poison's slowly killing him. It shouldn't be able to, but it is, because the weapon is warp-infused, and it's basically magic to them. Okay. And they can't do anything about the poison. Can't science that. Can't science the magic, because they don't mm. know what the warp is. They don't really know what they're dealing with. Right. The Lodge, with Erebus' guidance, takes him to this healing temple on this planet. And basically all it is is a trap for Erebus to guide Horus towards betrayal. And this is one of the first parts that's told through Horus' eyes, where he sees the future that, uh, that the Imperium is, but he doesn't realize he's the one that's going to create it. But they basically show him a version of the future and a version of the past and all this other stuff to kind of muck with his brain and confuse him and think that the Emperor is leaving him to become a god and he's going to throw everyone aside in his chase for godhood and all this other nice. stuff. And it's an interesting kind of back and forth because he does question what's happening. He's like, there's no way that, you know, like you're not the person you say you are. And they do go back and forth. And it is kind of interesting. It's not just like, oh, I automatically just give in. You're right. You know, he is questioning yeah. it. Cause okay, he is, good. He is supremely powerful, and he's very prideful, and he doesn't like to be tricked or deceived, which is part of his, all of their, all the Primarchs have that kind of in them. But he ends up deciding that he does need to start a rebellion by the end of this book. The last part of this book is him kind of changing and becoming more dark and more kind of evil and more war-hungry, oh. and setting up his dark. rebellion, and he's trying to 
in a clever way, kill off people he knows won't work with him by sending them into battle, which they consider an honor. So they send them into high-risk battles, hoping that they'll die, and thinning out the numbers of their... Does that bite him in the ass later on? I like the way they do it in this one, and I'll explain why, because the third book does something kind of really different that annoys me, but... It, you know, he ends up killing the people he doesn't like. Okay. He's holding back that's good. Because he's holding back the people that he knows are on his side. The important ones. The really, that's like, good, the leaders. That's good. Because a lot of... I think it would be actually more cliche if they came around and, you know, you know, didn't die and then, you know, did some dumb shit to get back at him. No, like, they don't They don't die in the... Like, the leaders don't die, but their companies and the people that are loyal to them are getting thinned out. But they don't realize that they think they're being sent in because it's an honor to be the first one sent in to fight. Right, right. So if he just blatantly killed all the leaders of these military powers, it'd be, you know, really well, dumb and obvious. That's but. that's my problem. So the third book is oh, him becoming no. open with his rebellion. Okay. And so the way he does this is he does have to cleanse. He doesn't kill them oh, all. Through this. He has to ethnic cleanse. cleansing. Very <laughs> nice. Cool so, video game. <laughs> I love this. I read books now. <laughs> so what he does is he assembles four legions. His legion, the Emperor's Children Legion, which has... Uh, Saul in it, the, the World Eaters Legion and the Death Guard Legion. They're all all four. All legions are loyal to him. The Primarchs are, but they all have parts of the legion they know won't turn. So he uses an excuse of crushing this rebellion in this little system, and the way he decides to cleanse them all at once is he picks out individual squads and and sends them down in like a massive strike instead of sending down a whole company. Okay, it's really weird because they usually like you go with your company down so he's like no we're gonna get this squad from this company and these guys from this company and these guys from this company and they're all going in and yeah odd it's really weird and like Logan is kind of questioning like this is a weird deployment but I'm still gonna do it anyway because they have this hardwired thing of following loyally right but as this has gone on like Logan's noticed that the lodge has taken over more and he's really on the outs and no one really trusts him anymore and he like, there's a lot of other stuff that kind of goes on in these books that makes them really interesting, as you see that the tenor of the Legion change from, like, brotherhood to power and supremacy within it, instead of all being kind of equal-ish brothers. But the only person that notices something's really weird is Saul, and he is able to stay back long enough to realize that what Horus is doing is sending all people he doesn't trust down to the planet, then he's going to bomb the planet with this uh, life eater virus that turns anything it touches that's biological into basically goo. Like, it just obliterates mm, biological Yummy, yummy. Life. I would All right. grab some <laughs> motherfucking tortilla chips yeah. for that shit. Bio-jizz. So the reason why Saul <laughs> notices is that his Lord Commander isn't sending any of his favorite guys down there. And his Lord Commander is a prideful asshole who would always lead from the front or send his favorite people in there. Mm. Saul realizes what's happening and he gets a warning down and is able to save some of them. Not right. a lot. A lot of people get wiped out, but he saves enough that it causes a small-scale war on that planet, and the rest of the book is essentially the battle on the planet between this little bit of rebel forces that are left standing and their enemies, the Horus's loyalty forces, as they come down and they're just kind of fighting it out Get some cool. How do they stick it up against? So the there's still like a lot of them, and the forces that are loyal to Horus, while more <clears throat> numerous and more well equipped, are also not supremely well disciplined. So there's literally a part where one guy betrays Saul, and he opens up their whole flank, and the enemy comes through, but the enemy leaves their whole side wide open. So he counterattacks them and drives them off. Right. Like it's just kind okay. of okay. Like, they're, they're losing slowly bit by bit, but they are they have nothing else left to fight for, so they're just fighting to the last guy. Like, a guy's missing an arm, and he's still going in and fighting these guys coming in to try to nice. kill them. Yeah. Kind of like thing. That. So they're, like, fighting to the last <laughs> man. Would you say he was disarmed? <laughs> yeah. He couldn't have yeah. been in the uh, are you army. Fart? Are you? <laughs> nice. Are you farting? I would never. <laughs> he did. I would never send <laughs> down a gas bomb that would eliminate you and turn you into goo. Out of my uh, ass. <laughs> and so what's interesting is Logan and the other half of the Marvel that sides with him, Tarkin, go to fight the half that have joined with the Lodge and with Horus' betrayal. And in most books, in that fight, the good guys would win, right? The good guys would win that fight, and at least they get some measure of vengeance. They both get killed 
brutally. One guy gets his head chopped off. The other guy gets buried under a bunch of rubble and then watches his horse pulls back all his forces and then just bombs the planet out of existence again. Nice. Like, okay. everyone who is loyal to the Emperor in this book, at least the Space Marines, all get wiped out in this battle. None of them win. They have, like, a... Too bad. They have, like, a last stand where they, you know, they're taught, you know, but it doesn't really amount to much. They all end up getting crushed. Yeah. Um, I like that they, you know, gave the obviously superior military power and an opportunity to, you know, like, actually win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, they, there's a lot of books where Horace's side wins in this massive saga because he wins a lot of battles because he is a military super yeah. genius. It makes sense that yeah. the little rebel army would put up a little bit of a fight and then super just get genius. raped anyways. Yeah. You know, I'm glad for that because, like I said, you know, cliche... Rebel army has oh, like some rambunctious members that take command and have somehow better leadership than you know a hundred year trained military genius. No, it, it doesn't make sense I mean, that way. They're all geniuses in their own way, but no, they don't. They can't compete, and they end up getting crushed. Yeah. What really makes these books a lot of fun is one: the action is always pretty intense, and I think well written and well described. But honestly, it's seeing how. Because these books are set up over the course of, like, years. Like, you'll cut to a chapter and they'll be like, you know, we've been at war for ten months with this civilization. So, like, yeah. time's passing. Seems like just, there's some very vivid imagery that I appreciate. There's some really good you're, you're describing the book as if it's, like, animated. I wish it yeah, was. I it's keep, something I, I, I want do them keep to do. thinking about it in yeah. my head as if it's animated, there, and it sounds really cool. That's kind of how so I like a really good see read. it when I read it. And I wish they would, if it was done right, I think it would make a great animated series but it has to be done right but um what makes these books for me a lot of fun is you see the subtle changes <clears> over time and you see how even though most of the characters are superhuman how very humanistic flaws they have but they don't see them because they see themselves as better right there are human characters in this book that in these books generally that make good points and that check Loken at times where he's like Wow, I could never thought of that because he's so in in this being a space marine, and it's really interesting to see these human characters interacting with these superhuman characters and the back and forth and the subtle changing over time of this all brothers and we would have died for one another in the beginning of the first book to killing each other brutally, you know, a few years later. Yeah. Over the course of time. Sexy dynamic. And I really like that very little of the book is told through Horace's eyes is told through people seeing him hmm. and seeing his interactions seeing how he changes seeing how he responds to stuff and you see through the way they write it you know his pride his wanting to do the right thing but at the same time questioning his task and is it really his thing to want to take over the galaxy it's not really what he wants to do and you see that kind of wearing on him and you just see like he can't believe that someone would betray him because he's so prideful, he's so charming, no one would ever think of, you know, turning yeah. against him after they've met him. Like, I think that's cool, too, because you don't want to really oversaturate the book with his negativity. No. Because his, his delve into badness and, no, very and little of that evil. Yeah, you Except would never want to oversaturate. No, it's mostly other people seeing it, and you mostly don't even see the inner workings of the betrayal in terms of how they plan it. It's all seen through Loken's eyes as he's slowly being isolated and cut off and human regular humans on the ship are being cut off from being able to move around the ship and access stuff really they used to be able to and you see kind of the hmm. subtle changes from the outside instead of seeing it all from the inside yeah, which it's I think more is dire really cool. that way when yeah. people are suffering and you're looking at it through their eyes yeah and i also really like that even though it's obvious what's happening because of the power and magnetism and care and charisma that horace has he can still convince people that he's not doing necessarily bad things because he's so overwhelmingly charismatic and charming and that's a big thing is that these primarchs are so superhuman that even these space marines will be blinded by what they can do and that's part of what allows them to pull this off is that the emperor leaves and now you have all these other super duper humans and it's like well they must be right because they're so much better than us and I think there's a lot mm -hmm. of that in this too and I think they're really well written books they set basically the foundation for like a 54 book series nice. that covers the whole thing and that's not including like the siege of Terra and all I the didn't know that, that many books existed <laughs> <laughs> and there's and they set up like stuff that then gets used in other books 
uh, that get written later and tie into other books, and it's really well done. I really like it. I would say the first two books, I would give them both probably five and a half, just because I think they're really, action's really well written. Mm, squiddly. The plot's really well written. I would say the the last book, the third <clears throat> book, is probably about a four and a half, because again, the action's really good, and you do feel bad for these characters that you've grown to really like, and you mm. know they're basically not making it out. But at the same time, they should have seen the betrayal coming when he's literally like deploying them in such a bizarre manner and he's doing some things that are painfully obviously bad for them and it's like I get you don't think he could ever do it but there's only one point where Loken's warned like don't even trust the war master and he still kind of trusts them right and it's like okay like at some point you should have seen at least something was going to happen so that kind of annoys me a little bit when I reread it but the action's in this last book is really good and the final fight sequences are really good too and I really enjoy these books they're a fun read and if you want to start in the horse heresy universe they're a good start they give you a primer of like where you are the books front first couple pages have a list of every character who they're so like what legion they're in who they're associated with because they do hop around between a lot of characters' perspectives, like Game of Thrones, but they give you like who they Game are. Game of Thrones. Who? Yeah. <laughs> who they are, what they're doing, Game like, what and their bones. role is. So you, if you're ever confused, you can always reference that. I think they're really good to their readers, and definitely recommend them. They're on Amazon right now. You can get them on the Kindle for like twelve bucks. Mm. I got them paperback for like 10 bucks you like your physical copies i prefer physical copies of books i have a hard time reading books on screen without my eyes really starting to hurt so if you're a cheap whore you can probably pirate them for free you can probably pirate them for free somewhere you can always go to uh black library which is who prints the books and you can always get them from there as well if you want to support them more directly instead of getting them through amazon if that's your choice but yeah overall really good books and give them a read all right, you sexual tyrannosauruses. Y'all's get your little mm. turtle-nipped fingers. I know y'all's been in the pond fishing for them snapping turtles. I love well, me a snapping turtle. Get your turtle-nipped fingers and uh, tippity-type on your little cell phone there. On Spotify, Squid Failers. Squid Failers. Give squid us a Failers. Follow. Give on us a follow. Instagram. Listen to our latest episodes. Transition. And then... Get yourself on over to Anchor, where you can make a monthly contribution to the Squid Fellas podcast. If you so please, you don't have to, but if you do, we love you. We can suck you up. Also, you have to. <laughs> Yo.